Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome everyone to Saints Preserve Us, the podcast where we explore the wild rides and strange lives of history's greatest group of holy misfits, the Catholic Saints. I'm your host, Christian O'Toole, and I believe I was chosen for this role mainly because my name sounds so saintly, but I assure you I'm most definitely a sinner, but a repentant one. And honestly, aren't we all sinners? We certainly can't all be saints. That is, however, with the exception of our two beloved experts, Sean Kelly and Rosemary Rogers, award-winning authors of several notable books, including Saints Preserve Us. Hello, Sean and Rosemary. How are you guys doing? I feel shriven. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Christian. I'm good, really. Believe me. Can you guys tell me a little bit about your religious backgrounds and what brought you to the Catholic Saints? You, you're up. Well, okay. Frankly, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my grandmother who prayed to St. Anne when my mother was desperately ill as a six-week-old baby. And my mother lived in a farm in Ireland and there was no real help around. And the doctor who came and he looked at her and he said, I'm not staying. She's not going to be here in the morning. And my mother prayed to St. Anne all night long. And I think if you nag St. Anne long enough, she kind of really rises to the occasion and she saved my mother's life. Wow. And I went on to be born. And I hope Sean shares his story of how his, she saved his life, but maybe he doesn't want to. No, no. When when I was a newborn, I had a neglectful mother as... (laughs) As most, most of us do. And I, she was bathing me in a, some kind of tub on some kind of table. And then she heard the phone ring. So naturally, she went to answer the phone. I fell off the table and split my little head open. And they had to tie a, a ribbon around it or something to put it back together because of the soft spot stuff. But anyhow, I was obviously going to expire. But my great uncle, who was a priest, showed up with a little bit of the robe of St. Anne that he had pilfered from the, the, because you're not supposed to be running around with first degree relics, but that didn't stop him under the circumstances. And so he he, uh, safety pinned this this little bit of uh, uh, red material into my crib. And here I am. Wow. I mean, the brain damage was done, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. You know, for those who don't know or maybe didn't pay enough attention in church growing up, there are over an estimated 10,000 Catholic saints. Is that correct? I thought it was 30,000. Well, I think that it's it's tough to say because in the early days, although there are eventually saints who were kings and queens and martyrs who sacrificed themselves for the faith— Originally, they were just sometimes everyday people who sort of inspired those around them with the holy lifestyle. And they weren't necessarily canonized, those people. The the actual process of being official about it, who's a saint and who isn't, is quite late in the history of Mm -hmm. Christendom. Now, of course, it's a dime a dozen. (laughs) They just push them through. It is hard to become a saint unless the Pope is John Paul, the Pope but was that his name, the Polish mm-hmm. Pope? The Polish Pope, yeah, he liked a saint. He canonized 468 of them. Only 460 were Polish, which is... <laughs> I was just going to say that. And none of them were Irish, by the way. Well, there were a lot of early Irish saints. We'll get to some of those in a bit. But 
Yeah, my research says that the first canonization was established in the 10th century by Pope John the 15th, and the first official saint to be canonized was St. Ulrich of Augsburg in yeah. 993. <laughs> Always comes straight to the top of mind, St. Ulrich, yes. uh, you know, when I'm praying. But you, before you that can't time, really pray to somebody named Ulrich, can you? <laughs> no. But before they were sort of just kind of basically cult figures. Is that right? Like mm-hmm. kind of yeah, local heroes? Were, uh, not just cult but pop cult Mm -hmm. they were what people had as stories the only place you got together to hear a story was at church and you couldn't read or write so what you got was stories from the pulpit about saints and pictures and statues of saints that would line the church and the windows and so some of the saint stories are kind of racy They're racy tales, but that was as close as you could get to hearing a racy tale anywhere. So before they were edifying, they were also exciting. And they performed miracles. So they they were sort of the original superheroes. That's right. This was the kind of cinematic universe of saints, basically. Mm -hmm. You You get the download in church every week. So St. Peter was also traditionally regarded as the first leader of the church after Christ's death. And so would he be considered one of the kind of earliest saints as well? Yeah, I think so. I never very fond of him. No, I'm not. I, I can't stand him, and I always wondered why Jesus Christ made that decision because he showed bad behavior all over the place. He could have picked Saint Matthew, who was good with numbers and things like that. But, but Saint Peter was married. Yeah, he was married. He had so, two sons. Right away, that should have disqualified him. And I think he chose him because he liked to pun. Jesus liked to pun, and he wanted to say, "And upon this rock." I will build my church. But Petrus means rock. So when he said, Petrus, you were a Petrus, the other 11 apostles obviously fell out. And and we've been stuck with him for 2,000 years. So he was kind of the cornerstone of the apostles. Yes. And he was something of a buffoon. Yeah. And humbug. I mean, he was, there was nothing really nice you can say about him. There's not one incident in the Gospels where he, like, you know, gave a shirt to somebody or anything like that. He no. was just always, like, being grubby and grabby. And running away. And running away. Runner- I wasn't even going to bring that up. Today. When you saw a statue of, or a picture of Peter in those days, there were lines in his face from weeping for his betrayal of Jesus, which eventually led to Smokey Robinson's <laughs> tracks of my tears. Well, then let's move on from St. Peter. I think today what I want to do is to give people sort of a baseline. We'll talk about some of the greatest saints of all time and then some of your favorite saints. So, you know, the distinction between greatest and favorite being mainly that greatest are kind of like the the Michael Jordan of basketball, the Wayne Gretzky of hockey, the Tom Brady of football. And, you know, I'm from Boston, so some people think that's controversial, but it's really just statistically a fact as far as I'm concerned. But see, these are what we call the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Who are some of the saints that just everyone can agree on? They're up there in the canon. Well, I think we both agree on... The person whose feast day is today, St. Columba, Columkeel, the dove of the church. Perfect. Thank you for that segue, because every episode on Saints Preserve Us, we're going to highlight one saint who was our saint of the day. And every saint has a feast day on the calendar, and it's typically, as I understand it, the day that they died. Yes, mm-hmm. their heavenly birthday. It's a little bit morbid, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> to celebrate the day someone died, I think. But, you know. Um, My mother did. <laughs> 
She celebrated the day she died or? No, no, she would always celebrate. She'd always wake up and say, oh, today's so-and-so's anniversary. And in a normal world, it would be somebody's wedding anniversary or something like that. But to her, it was always the day they died. My father was the same way. Well, I suppose in this sense, it's the day that they ascended to heaven. Yeah, that's so, right. you know, good for them. I don't think she meant it that way, though. She's <laughs> glad to be rid of them. She was. But so, as we said, every birthday has a saint associated with it. That is their feast day. And so today, we are recording this on June 9th of 2021. And it is the feast day of St. Columba of Ireland, mm-hmm. who was born December 7th, 521 AD, as close as we can tell, and died on June 9th of 597 AD. Now, I have a personal connection to St. Columba that I'll get into a little bit later. But first, Rosemary, he's one of your greatest of all time. So, why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? But you him? know something? I dare say that he He's probably one of Sean's greatest saints, too. Am I speaking out of turn? No, he's my he's my main man. I'll just tell a little bit about him, that he was, you know, very brilliant. And he was a monk who loved books and he loved poetry. He was a poet, too, and his poetry is beautiful. What happened was there was a big fight about he copied somebody's manuscript and got into a lot of trouble. It's even, it's even nastier than that. That that when when he copied someone else's psalter, their the manuscript, and the person whose manuscript he copied said, "You got to give it to me. I own the copy." And so it was really a copyright case. <laughs> yeah, it was an early copyright case. And they took the case to the high king at Tara. And the problem was that both the high king at Tara and Kumkil were descendants of O'Neill, mm-hmm. of the great O'Neill of the Red Hand, and the. King happened to be from a different sort of tribe of O'Neill's, so he sided against St. Columkill. And the law he made was to every cow its calf and to every book its copy, which I guess is still the rule. I don't know. That's what Disney is out there in court that's <laughs> right, right protecting now. Mickey Mouse with that. <laughs> yes. That very precedent. But anyway, this made it a political disagreement as well as a legal and theological one. And the two O'Neill tribes went at each other on a field under Ben Bulben, as a matter of fact, uh, under the, the Great Mountain that. there. And by chance, I once found myself walking around on that field going, whoa, this place is heavy. <laughs> <laughs> well, those... Dead spirits. It was because thousands, in the story at least, were were killed because of Columkill's, what, pride? Aggression? What? And wh- when the, the battle ended, he was filled with, understandably, with remorse. There is one thing that I, I just read recently, that all of his, the opposition, all of Columkill's opposition were pretty much, they were pretty much wiped out, and he only lost one soldier. That's supposedly the case, yes. And he lost his one soldier by the soldier penetrated the evil mist that the druids uh, on the other side established. Probably not literally true. But he had to repent some way for what he had done. Columba, this is. This is, yeah. And he resolved that he would never again set foot or see Ireland. And he set sail from, there's a rock where he set sail from there in uh, the north, and went to Iona, which is an island halfway between Scotland and uh, Ireland. And his determination was to convert the, the savages in Scotland to the true faith. And out of that monastery at Iona came all the, the great 
saint scholars like Saint Gall and Saint Columbkill and they, who, who went who taught Europe to read. Columbanus. And Columbanus, the coolest of them all, because he was really a policeman. He went uh, at one point. They said there was a terrible monster in the lock at Ness, <laughs> and he he went and blessed it, and it did it in. So there is no Loch Ness Monster because St. Columkill gave it a pass. <laughs> uh, he did a lot of work there. But one day there was a terrible fight back in Ireland about poetry and what was allowed and what wasn't allowed to be in a poem. Which well, is, the, the Irish, you know, well, they'll find a way to fight over just about everything. Right? But, but poetry you is know. very sacred. Yeah, poetry especially. I think, uh, you know, we're passionate and we're passionate about the written word. So... Yeah, I can see that. It's because it's the only art they had. Otherwise, they're kind of scratching, scratching things in, in the mud and, and banging on the two-stringed harp. So they had to have the poetry. Otherwise, Beethoven wasn't, for example, Irish. Uh, <laughs> but in any event, he was invited back to Ireland to settle the dispute because by then his fame, of course, was. But he had promised never to set foot or see Ireland. So they imported him from Iona, blindfolded, and with turp strapped to the bottoms of his sandals. <laughs> so he managed not to set foot or see. And he decided the question, whatever it was, about what a bard could and could not say. Because there were, there were a number of kinds of bards, if you were a chieftain of some kind. You had a bard whose whole job was to praise you. That was his thing. Your hype man. Your hype man, yeah, <laughs> spinner. And then you had a bard whose whole job was to remember everything because there was no not a lot of writing to remember everything. And then you had a third bard whose job it was to satirize your enemies. <laughs> that was <laughs> very all. important. You would be great at that. <laughs> and there were a number, number of kinds of satire, uh, direct, indirect, oblique. And so this, this particular uh, dust-up that, uh, that Cronkill was brought back about was, I think, one of the satirists had gone too far. <laughs> when you were satirized by an Irish satirist, you broke out in boils. It's <laughs> very uncomfortable, I'm sure. And mostly what you satirized the, uh, your opponent about was being cheap. Oh, it's the, it's the deadly sin in Ireland to be cheapskate. They, they have so many names for cheap people, so many expressions for someone who's cheap. My favorite being, oh, he still has his first communion money. They go <laughs> on and on and on. I have a friend who speculates that the reason Irish drink so much is because they, they go in a crowd to the pub, and when one person stands around, everyone else feels like they have to. By the time the night's over, everyone's had, you know, eight rounds, and there yes. go, there go, uh, the curse. To, to, otherwise, you are a begrudger. Mm-hmm. So he hated a cheapskate, St. Columba, <laughs> which, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't blame him. I, I'm right on board with him there. But I have to say, I mean, the, the walking back into Ireland with the blindfold and the turf strapped to his feet, and this epic battle. I mean, the blindfold thing reminds me of that film Bird Box, you know, where everyone had to, <laughs> to walk around blindfolded lest they go insane from seeing whatever it was that was out there. But it sounds like a, it would be very cinematic. It sounds like a great movie. Well, that's what I always think. I mean, it's like a movie on... The scale of Lawrence of Arabia because it's got a different kind of scenery but great scenery and a different kind of hero but a great hero and also something of an anti-hero and uh, I don't know who's going to do the music though and Peter O'Toole's been long dead yeah he'd be good though he would have been good as Colin Kill they, when they uh, Colin Kill died on Iona mm-hmm. he died on his island centuries later they brought his relics his remains back to Downpatrick 
And he was buried there beside St. Bridget and St. Patrick. We were there. We went to the grave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Of course, then the, the the Cromwells came in and probably pissed all over that grave. <laughs> it's not the same as it used to be. Well, you know, that brings me back to my personal connection to Columba because the name Coleman was a family name in my family. And the O'Tools were one of the only clans that never surrendered to Cromwell. I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were in Ireland, I learned that the O'Tools went up into the Wicklow Mountains and basically said, you know, come at me, Cromwell. And That's they tried. so great. I didn't know they that. They tried over and over and they just couldn't do it. They had the high ground and they were tough. The name O'Toole, the O apostrophe always means of the clan of. Mm-hmm. And the, the Gaelic word was Toothal, which means the clan of the mighty warrior, basically. But my grandfather, who came from Ireland on my father's side, was named Coleman, which was derivative from St. Columba. And his son, my uncle was named Coleman, and then my dad named his son Coleman. When it came to the next generation, it turns out that the name Callum, which is much more popular in Scotland, say, than, than the U.S., it's a cool name and it's it's derived from the same saint. And whereas Coleman apparently means dovekeeper, Callum means little dove. And so I just thought it was great. Like, we're going to change it for the new generation. We're going to go from Coleman to Callum and Callum be the little dove and all the Colemans up there. There will be the, the dove keepers watching out for them. So. <laughs> That's great. But I love the story of St. Columba. I love learning a little bit more about that. Now we're just going to move on to our next one. So now, Rosemary, I think you've got another of your top two greatest of all time, and they're related, St. Anne and St. Joseph. Some people may not know exactly who St. Anne was. I I had to kind of look it up again. She was the mother of Mary and technically didn't perform any miracles with the exception of giving birth to Mary, who then gave birth, you know, to Jesus. So... But also, we met Mary was, there was no sin involved in her right. conception. Uh, so the Immaculate Conception doesn't have to do with the birth of Jesus. It has to do with the birth of Mary. Mary. So she was conceived immaculately. Mm-hmm. Whatever St. Anne had to do to bring that about is a question. She was the first person since Eve to be born not in a state of sin. So you have to hats off to St. Anne just for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Mary was born without original sin. That's right. And then also had an immaculate conception with Jesus. I, I no, wasn't that's, aware the, that's was... the incarnation. That's a whole different, a whole different gag, <laughs> a whole different hallucination. Well, then, so how did? What, I'm, I'm lost here. Jesus, I always thought was the immaculate conception. No. But no. You're saying no, it's Mary. Mary. Well, yes. Jesus is the incarnation. So he was just directly God incarnate. Yes. Yes. But he obviously couldn't have been born to a person in a state of sin. Ah. So his mother, Mary, was conceived immaculately. Mm -hmm. Now, this is all that rubbish Augustine, isn't it? St. Augustine, that guy. Whose mother was Monica, by the way. The confessions of St. Augustine. Yes, yes. He would worry about how could God be born to a... Augustine, according to Augustine, original sin was passed along in sexual intercourse. That was obviously the case. (laughs) Why? And why wasn't it like airborne? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was sort of the impression I got in the Catholic Church. There was a lot of sin wrapped up in that. Yes. And so how could Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, be housed in a, a tabernacle of sin? Yes. Mm -hmm. So Mary had to be, she had to be conceived immaculately and was. But as I say, St. Anne was the one who conceived her Mm -hmm. immaculately. And I've often thought, trying not to be rude, (laughs) how they went about that. Uh, She and and, uh, 
jo- Joachim, right? Her Joaquin. Joaquin was her husband, was he mm-hmm. not? He's a saint now, too. Yes. I was trying to figure out this the other day. Anne had a sister. That sister had a daughter that was Elizabeth. So that would make Elizabeth the niece of Anne. Yeah, and the mother of John the Baptist. So I'm always trying to figure out the exact relationship between Jesus and John the Baptist. I guess it's like second cousin once removed. Well, it's funny, you know, as you're saying all these names, I'm thinking of my dad had 11 kids in his family and my mom had 10. So I had an aunt named Anne. I had an aunt named Mary. I had an uncle named Joseph. I had an uncle named Coleman. And uh, Any Elizabeth? You know, I think we, no. My I grandmother so. was Elizabeth. So there it, you go. There you go. Yeah. If you watch that that show about mayor, oh, I love every, it. everybody in the show is some some kind of mixed saint name. It's pretty yeah. funny. Mm-hmm. Well, that is where everyone used to get their names, right? Like right. everyone sort of took their name from the saint. It would be the day that you were born. Yes. So the feast of Saint Anne is on July twenty sixth. So that's coming up. You can pray to Saint Anne on that day. Mm-hmm. And then Saint Joseph. He has two feast days. He's the son in law. He's Saint the son in law, and he's also, I guess, by marriage related to John the Baptist and Saint Anne. I mean, yeah, we just said that. I'm sorry, this confuses me. And one of the <laughs> one of the gospels makes a, a a point that Joseph was descended from the house of David. And that's right. Although, since he wasn't really Jesus' father, I don't know what difference that makes. <laughs> but there's some things that don't quite fit together in that Lego set. Well, yeah, I think that Joseph kind of gets a bad rap yeah. as basically the original cuckold. Yes. Uh, cuckolded by God himself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. But I think there's a lot more to him, is what you guys are saying. I also like to think of him as sort of the original stepfather. Yeah, basically, me too. You know, the, the good stepdad mm-hmm. who, he wasn't the baby daddy, but he raised Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, He's as a far good as man. Know, you know, took well, care yeah, the, of him. The story, I mean, I guess it's sort of the hymn, the, the cherry tree carol. <laughs> when uh, Joseph and Mary were walking, and they weren't yet married, but she was pregnant, and she said, Joseph, may I have some cherries out of the tree? And he said, let the father of your baby gather cherries for me. <laughs> oh, and the tree, the tree bent down and shook its cherries into her apron. Wow. So God wasn't taking that. No. <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> that one. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's that idea of, as you said, the, the cuckold, mm-hmm. that his wife, his fiancée, is pregnant and he isn't involved. So that's pretty brave of him, mm-hmm. I think, to not because yeah, he could have exactly. put her aside, as he, they say. He could have called off the engagement. You know, she really was in danger. She could have been stoned. Yeah. And he just, he really, you know, did the right thing and was a real stand-up guy about the whole thing. Now, what he did, the the word that King James uses for his occupation is carpenter, but that isn't what the word actually meant in Greek. He worked in construction. <laughs> he was a maker. Uh, so he might have been what, what would have passed for an architect even, but he wasn't some guy walking around with a hammer hoping to find a nail. <laughs> <laughs> So he, who is he the patron saint of? He's got a lot of patronages. Real estate, you know, selling a house, that, that's, just, that's what he's known for nowadays. Well, maybe because he, he was building houses. That's right, and because he found a home for these uh, when they were homeless. That's right. I always think of him as getting, like, the best Airbnb, you know, <laughs> last more reservation of all time, yeah. Christmas Eve, <laughs> yeah. you know. The place is crowded. Let's yeah, say. yeah. Yeah, a lot of stuff was put on him. He was young, not old, and he was a young guy, neighborhood guy, fell in love with this 
neighborhood girl, and then everything changed, was turned inside out mm-hmm. and upside down. Boy meets girl, mm-hmm. girl meets God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Classic story. Yeah. The other thing about Joseph, not only is he the patron saint of real estate, but if you're trying to sell your house mm-hmm. and you're not getting a lot of action, you bury a statue of St. Joseph upside down, and he will do his magic because he doesn't want to be upside down. Ah. Uh. Right. You just bury him upside up, and nothing's going to happen. That's fine. But upside down, he's kind of blackmailed. <laughs> <laughs> Let me out of here. So that's, however, the, certainly the tradition. Right? Well, that's that's a hot tip for anyone out there trying to move a home, and it's been sitting on the market too long. It's because you have not buried a statue of Joseph upside down. <laughs> that's exactly home, so true. Get to it. <laughs> All right, so do you uh, have any other greatest of all time, Sean, on your list, or can we move on to sort of favorite, a little more under the radar type uh, saints? Well, St. Michael the Archangel is... Oh, yeah. Is, I, is. of course, am an atheist, but I believe in St. Michael the Archangel. I mm-hmm. don't fool around with that. When I was a little guy and they said prayers to St. Michael, I thought, yeah, he was like, a, indeed, like a, a, a Marvel comic hero. Mm-hmm. My understanding of an archangel is the opposite of an angel, kind of like... Oh, no, no. Oh, no. What, what, high, is, what does it mean? He's the highest of angels. Oh, he's the highest of angels. Yeah. He's the boss of angels. Ah. And he He's the leader of the the heavenly army. Ah, right. When uh, when Lucifer, another archangel, another archangel, mm-hmm. told God that he wasn't going to kneel down in front of a, a human baby, mm. um, <laughs> right? A thing born in a bed. Right. God said to Mike, Mike, take care of that, will you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike cast Lucifer down into hell. Well, now this is this is where you, this is like the beginning of Paradise Lost That's by right. Milton. The battle in heaven right. where mm-hmm. Lucifer is then cast out in this fight. I mean, it must have been an epic battle. I think I mean, it was. Of angels it, fighting in heaven, it, it mm-hmm. sounds. And when, when you see it now, it's a statue of uh, Michael dressed in uh, armor, whatever particular armor was popular when they were making the statue. But he's, he's got his foot on the dragon. Mm-hmm. Right. And so does the Blessed Virgin. When you see many statues of her, she is the woman stepping on the serpent. So in some ways, he's gender fluid. Um, <laughs> But, Doesn't he sit at the right hand of God, or is that somebody well, they, else? They, he's all, usually pictured holding a scale mm-hmm. uh, because he was going to judge. He was uh, the judge. Right. The, mm-hmm. And, of course, in the Middle Ages, they thought that meant he was the patron saint of grocers <laughs> because they're so cute. <laughs> he was splendid is the only word. Yeah. And some of us couldn't stop smoking, no matter what doctors and children and people said. And I... Promise St. Michael, if I could get to the top of Mont Saint Michel with my smoker's lungs, <clears throat> that he would see to us that I, that I didn't smoke anymore. And I came down from the mountain, and no, no more urge, even hardly. There's a, a line in a, a poem by Chesterton about the Battle of Lepanto. The Pope is calling out for knights about the cross to save the Christian captives. In Chesterton's poem, he says, St. Michael's on his mountain, and he shakes his lance of iron and he shakes his wings of stone noise has gone through normandy the noise has gone alone nice. and i thought hey now that's my guy <laughs> <laughs> it sounds epic i mean i have to hand it to him and he helped you quit smoking so oh yeah i, I should have mentioned that saint joseph helped me quit smoking I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry, Joseph. I just forgot to mention this. That was that was also equally impossible to do. Mm-hmm. The saints, there you go. They're, they have practical uses in everyday life as well. 
Let's talk about just some favorite ones. These are some of the heavy hitters we've covered so far, but what are some ones that people might not know about? Rosemary, you've put a sort of modern day woman who was a kind of a, an interesting character. We've got Dorothy Day. Born, mm, oh, she's great. Born November 8th, 1897 in Brooklyn Heights. Shout out to Brooklyn. That's mm-hmm. where we're recording this right now. I didn't know that. And she died November 29th. So that would be her feast day, November 29th, 1980 in Manhattan. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about Dorothy Day. Well, she had a wild bunch of years until she hit 30. And then she just had a revelation and decided to become a Catholic. And well, she tell us d- about the wild years, because I, I always want to hear about the wild years. <laughs> All right. She was a big anarchist, communist, protest marcher, but also had made a a lot of time to have affairs, including Eugene O'Neill, and a lot of drinking. I heard that she drank in a, a bar called the Hellhole. That's right. In, in the, the middle Village. of pro- in the middle of prohibition. Wow. So, that, she, so that's she's like a hard, hard, famous, hard living woman. Famous mm-hmm. period of Greenwich Village, when Greenwich Village was Greenwich Village, mm-hmm. right? When you had communists and anarchists and fascists and, and symbolists and everybody mixing it up. And she was a bohemian riot girl. Yeah, she was. So that she also had an abortion. Mm-hmm. No. Yes, sorry so to shock was- you. Yeah, and she had it very matter of factly, but it haunted her for the rest of her life. And it may have something to do with her conversion, but maybe not. I don't know. It's, she could never really explain it herself why she made such a departure, but she did. And from then on, she kind of led a life of disservice to others, including the homeless, especially the homeless and the poor, and set up shelters and lived in the shelters herself and fed the poor and... Her whole life was filled with activism. She marched against war, Vietnam, and... Oh, she, capital punishment was one of her special... Capital punishment hatred. was a big... She hated that. However, she was very much opposed to abortion to her, to her last dying day, so... We're going to hope to every week have a special guest. And this week, since we talked about Dorothy Day, we have an interview that Rosemary did with Father Jim... Mm-hmm. Father James Martin. Father James Martin. He's a big, very big... Devotee of Saints. So here's a little bit of our interview with Father Jim. I'm Father James Martin. I'm a Jesuit priest, editor-at-large of America Media, consultor to the Vatican's Dicastery for Communications, and author of the book, My Life with the Saints. That's pretty good. I love your book very you. much. And one of the things I was I was hoping to get with make other people more comfortable with praying to saints, not necessarily Catholics, but just yeah. anybody. Yeah. Generally speaking, I think that so there's two ways, I mean, as you know, of looking at the saints. There's patrons, the one who prays for us in heaven, and companions, right? The one is kind of, you know, the sort of our fellow human being. I tend to think that the real life stories of these people are just so compelling mm-hmm. that it prompts people's interest. You know what I mean? Oh so, yeah. So just, I think just telling the stories and then, you know, and then people on their own start to pray to them or think about them or wonder about them. And that, to mm-hmm. me, that's, that's, that's the entree. That's what I've found with people. That's it. That makes sense to me. I know that I believe in them. You know, I, I actually really do think they're powerful. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of misunderstanding. People think that the saints are more than God or that we you know, yeah, we put them before Jesus Christ, our Savior, is what the way. Yeah, but, you know, I always yeah. say to my Protestant friends, you know, what do you think about St. Paul? I mean, do you respect him? Do you venerate him? Oh, yeah, he's great. And it's the same thing. So I think it's, you know, St. Ignatius says you go in their door, you come out in your door. So you kind of go in their door with the saints that they already know and love. Mm-hmm. Paul, Peter, 
you know, these are the big ones, I think, for men, no, for many Protestants. But it is a, it's a kind of stereotype that people have, unfortunately. Like you, I'm a very big Dorothy Day fan. Oh, yeah. First of all, she's a 20th century saint, and, um, but she has no patronages that I know of. Dorothy Day? Not yet. I mean, there are sort of, you know, kind of informal ones. So certainly, I mean, as you know, she'd be the patron saint of the Catholic worker and Catholic worker movement, Catholic worker mm-hmm. houses. A lot of this informal. So, for example, St. Aloysius Gonzaga, the Jesuit saint, he's kind of the informal patron of people who live with HIV AIDS. Right. Uh, because he dealt with plague victims. So Dorothy, you know, who knows what she'll get. That's interesting. I didn't know that about Aloysius Gonzaga. Yeah. Didn't he die really young? He did. He died caring for plague victims in Rome, which is why he's patron of HIV people. My husband's favorite saint is St. Rumbold. What's his story? He was born uh, in England, I think in Sussex, and he started speaking the minute he was born. Of course. (laughs) Then he started praying. By the second day, he was saying mass. (laughs) (laughs) Second, uh, two days old? Two days old. Good for him. Celebrated. Very, very, very hardworking. On the third day, they anointed him bishop. And (laughs) that evening, he died. A perfect life. (laughs) No, I know. I I did not hear that. That that St. Romuald? No, Rumbold. R-U-M-B-O-L-D. Oh, my gosh. That's actually one of my, that's my new favorite. (laughs) That's my new favorite. The other one is uh, St. Ambrose, who... Uh, at his baptism, stood stood up in the baptismal font and preached the sermon. <laughs> I didn't know that. I have to remember that. Well, then there's always St. Christina, the astonishing, who is as dead as could be, <laughs> flew out of her casket because of all the garlic smell, mm-hmm. the bad breath in, the, in mm-hmm. the in her funeral mass. Well, I heard either that or because she was disgusted by the stench of sin among the people at her funeral mass. Isn't that funny? I always heard it was bad breath, which is one of the, another one of the reasons I love her so, because I, I get very offended by bad breath myself. You know, a true life story, St. Catherine of Siena, who was amazing, told the Pope that his papal court stank. <laughs> and the Pope said, how do you know, you know, you're in Siena? And she said, I can smell it all the way in Siena. <laughs> what happens is we tend to literally put them on pedestals. And we say something like, oh, I could never be like St. Francis of Assisi. Well, St. Francis of Assisi was human. And people at the time knew he was human. And he had strengths and weaknesses. And it kind of lets us off the hook, right? We say there, oh, well, I, I couldn't do what Mother Teresa did. She's, you know, she's amazing. It sort of removes us from this duty, I think, to be holy and to live like that, you know, so, so that they're human. That most people don't know that. Mm-hmm. They think they're, you know. Angels. Angel, exactly. That's a good, that's a good point. Their humanity doesn't make them any less holy. There are people who interpret the gospel as the social gospel. That is to say, if we're going to be Christians, we have to do what Jesus told us to do. Not what would Jesus do, but what did he tell us to do? They're sort of strict constructionalists. Right. Mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, some of the saints that are astonishing and are the ones who said, I'm going to take him literally. I'm going to do what he said to do. <laughs> I'm not going to say that's a metaphor. I'm going to see, he said, if you don't uh, visit those in prison, if you don't clothe the naked, Mm -hmm. if you don't feed the hungry, then just basically 
Oh, <laughs> that's well, what Jesus was a radical. I mean, yes. let's be honest. Mm-hmm. He was not out there following the rules. He no. was he was he, preaching in the streets and right. he and, was and, and he broke helping the homeless. He broke the he broke the Ten Commandments systematically. Jesus, I've always <laughs> enjoyed that about him. That just if he picked them up and dropped them, but. There are other people, not even Catholics, who have decided that they're going to do what Jesus said to do. And Georgia what Day. What did Jesus do? That was a whole bumper right, sticker for Which a while. is a different question. What did Jesus say to do? Mm-hmm. Right? We don't know what Jesus would do, but we do know what he told us mm-hmm. to do. And that's a little spooky. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it was also don't be all about money and, right. and take care of other people. Yeah, not, he threw exactly. the money lenders out of the temple, mm-hmm. yeah, essentially, right? Exactly. And he answered the. I was like, they thought they had him because they were going to say, should we pay taxes? And if he said no, then the Romans would come in and do him. And if he said yes, then it meant he wasn't a real Israel Zionite and they, they could do him. And he did that trick of the penny. There's a penny and says, Who, whose picture is on this? It must be his. Right. Yeah. And we're so, so, unto Caesar Caesar's. that which is Caesar's, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like basically saying, this is not about me. That's his thing. That's right. If, if he asks for it, go ahead, give mm-hmm. it to him. You yeah. know, like, and he had his tax collector as, a, uh, as an apostle. That's right. So it wasn't what it was about. Right? He kept saying, that's not where my kingdom is. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, well, currency in and of itself is just a, it's an illusion that we all agree to. It's like Bitcoin. You know? Yeah, like exactly. Caesar's face on the coin was just another version of that, basically. So what did Jesus care? You know, he's not in the, in the Bitcoin market. He knows it's going <laughs> to crash. Like, but he's it, so anyhow, that's the thing that I thought about Dorothy Day. But St. Francis of Assisi, who is, that's well, nice that he's very popular. But one day it hit him that if he was a Christian, mm-hmm. he had to do what the book said and took his clothes off. Oh, he went, marched to town square, completely naked, on. and uh, said... <laughs> and insisted that the Franciscans dress in basically a, a felt blanket. <laughs> the idea of possessing anything was... was to Francis, just not just wrong, but he, he couldn't believe why would you want to do a thing like that? Right. You've got the sun, you've got the moon, you've got the birds, you've got the earth. What do you want <laughs> for? Yeah. Right. And so, but he must have smelled bad. <laughs> Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's like a hippie thing. They usually, yeah, it's like patchouli exactly. all over the place. Exactly. You know, but body sweat. And, you, and you're, if you're a saint, I think you're not supposed to worry about that. St. Simon's the lightest. You know what? Simon's the lightest. He, was, he lived on the top of a pillar to be a hermit, which is kind of paradoxical. Because everybody saw him on the <laughs> hiding in plain sight. And he lived there for a long time. And occasionally, he, the best my life story I like about him is he looked down and there was, a, there was some kind of thing eating his arm, uh. some kind of nastiness. And he picked it up and said, little friend, eat what the good Lord gave you to eat, and stuffed it back in. You know, what a guy. Yeah. I have to say, I, I think about him a lot. Probably way too much, and it always is about how he went to the bathroom. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, the pillar, pillar was really high. Yeah, but the bucket. well made a movie about him. They send a bucket up to, with his food. Oh, so and I didn't know that. that. I wish, I wish that's, how he, know that. Hey, that's how he ate. That's how he ate. He sent a bucket down. And he sent a bucket down. I suppose. Oh, two bucket system. Right? That's right. Louis Grindelwald made a movie about him. Yeah. Wow. There's a, the theory that there are two ways 
I mean, obviously there are a million ways, but two ways to be a saint, and one is the way of denial, and one is the way of affirmation. So the the saint on the pillar with the with the, <laughs> with the bucket, with the bucket, that's the way of denial for sure. And then there's the way of uh, Saint Francis, mm-hmm. who just wanted to affirm everything. It was brother, son, sister, moon. Right? He called his body my brother ass because <laughs> his thing was, should you be kind to your body? And his thing was, should you be kind to your ass? <laughs> right? Answer, yes. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, it's not going to carry your stuff. That's you, right. right. Yeah. So you could at least give your body the respect you would give an ass, <laughs> unlike the man with the worm. Mm-hmm. And when St. Francis was hoeing one day uh, in the garden, as he might, and someone came to him and said, what would you do if you knew the world was about to end? And Francis said, well, first I'd finish this row. <laughs> and he's a Zen master in that way, that, that he calls your attention to what really matters. Well, it makes me think he's the patron saint of hoes and asses. my kind of saint. Yeah. Now, St. Bridget, you said, Rosemary, she was born in 450 and died in 525. She's another Irish saint. Tell us a little bit more about St. Bridget. Well, she was a miracle worker, but didn't think anything of it. If she was in a hurry, she would just take her cloak off and hang it on a sunbeam. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. She also could turn water into beer, which sounds surprisingly Christ-like, but that was Bridget. I can see why she's popular in Ireland. Oh, yeah. Go over her okay, Bridget's prayer is, I should like to have a great lake of ale. Mm-hmm. Wow. She's a woman who could do it, too. And she could have done it if she wants. She's the uh, patron saint of milkmaids. Because she's very associated with dairy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because her feast is the first day of Irish spring in, in Ireland. Not to be confused with Irish spring. The soap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, she was very, very obviously beautiful. Mm-hmm. But all the boys wanted to marry her. And she had been baptized, some say, by St. Patrick himself. Right. So she wasn't going to go. She wanted to be the bride of Christ. But the fellas tell my mom when I get home, the boys won't leave the girls alone. (laughs) They were all over her. So she prayed and became super ugly. You know, when I think about that now, these days, with even if you take a picture on your iPhone, there's a filter to make you look better, which I've just... <laughs> you just discovered this and now you realize how everyone looks that Photoshop, like that everything. Yeah. People are, yeah, I always wondered how people were looking so good. Yeah. And her beauty had no meaning to her at all. And I think that's so, must be, that must have been so liberating. Even though she, she wound up looking like the elephant man because they granted her wish, you know, but she got her looks back after she, she got her looks back. After she became a nun. <laughs> when she received the veil, whoever bishop was putting putting the veil on had to step back because angels descended and put her nun's veil on, which was kind of announcing that she was a kind of serious candidate. Mm-hmm. And the prie dieu, the bench she was kneeling on, burst into flower. Mm-hmm. Like this de- dead wood burst into flower. So she had a literal glow up, as she they, did. they call it now. She yeah. was, she was, it's just the so- stories about her are all about someone who is beautiful and good. And generous <laughs> and yeah. great host. Well, it's a, you're a great host if you can keep making beer all night. So. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for St. Bridget. You know, we'll raise, raise a glass to St. Bridget. <laughs> now let's talk about some of your least favorites, because if we have a favorite, there's got to be somebody on the bottom. Rosemary, Sean, who, who wants to start? Who's somebody you just can't well, stand? Who's uh, somebody you just say, that guy? Like, really? He got that's canonized? That's a mistake. Or she? It was a mistake. I kind of understand 
reading a little bit about what you put down here. This is St. Is it Jose Maria oh. Escriva? Hard. You can join in on this. So he was born 1902 in Spain and died June 26th, 1975 in Italy. And the main thing here is he was the Spanish priest who founded Opus Dei. Mm. So tell us a little bit about what that is and, and why... Well, it's Opus Dei is, I I like to call it Catholicism's Scientology division because it's just a total bunch of, you know, crap that they put together and and the people are totally... As opposed to all the rest of this. No, no, no. (laughs) It's weird and creepy. Well, I I always think Scientology was started by L. Ron Hubbard Mm -hmm. because someone told him, if you want to get rich, the best thing to do is start a religion because they're not taxed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But if you talk about that now, you're going to get... Very, very yeah. Well, there's that. Curse. Well, yeah. I'm. I already am. So, like I said, you know, I'm already born in sin. So (laughs) we're good. Well, you know, this brings me back to uh, Pope John Paul because I think he just went so he just cheapened the whole canonization sainthood process. Never more so than he named this really crude madman as a saint. This guy was canonized like in 1980, which is fairly recent. So a lot of this, this stuff was known about him at the time. Well, and Opus Dei had a famous sort of turn in the Da Vinci Code, right? right? Like sort of all the villains were part of the, mm-hmm. the Opus which, Dei Which, of course, plays sect. into the anti-Catholicism that's, you know, a little latent, but there. And it looked like, you know, what people think is that Catholics are a bunch of, you know, cultish weirdos who are fanatics about their faith. And, and they were self-flagellating, right? Like yeah. uh, Opus Dei people. It's hard to think of the word uh, for Opus Dei that isn't fascist. Yeah, it is. Um, and, I mean, and he was a Franco supporter, the guy who founded but it. But there are conservative Catholics and liberal Catholics. And the thing is that as soon as you get excessively liberal, you're a heretic. Mm-hmm. But it turns out you can't go far enough in the other direction. Right. <laughs> And Opus Dei, it's also an example of what I assume happened many, many times in the past, which is that someone who raised a lot of money for the church was made a saint. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did raise t- tons of money, did he not? But yeah, but he just put it into his little his little subset. I don't know. He must have because the Pope gave him. And there's lots of pictures of him and the Pope shaking hands like mm-hmm. a couple of corrupt politicians. Exactly. That doesn't sound like an embodiment of anything of Jesus, <laughs> no, frankly. I can't get the connection, although he did love a lot of people. Uh, Jose? Yeah. Oh, he loved. Loved God. many, many women. <laughs> yes. You know, he had illegitimate children. Did you not have a scattering? I, I don't know. I, I, I read that in some hate screen. Well, I'm going to say that he did now. Yeah, so, now yeah. he did. Yeah. Anyhow, I guess what's embarrassing is that it's such a throwback. Mm-hmm. We know that many saints, especially in the pre-Renaissance mm-hmm. saints, were simply called saints because they were use, financially useful. Mm-hmm. Like, but, like Frederick. Right. Of, of Prussia. I mean, he just was got a lot of stuff done for the church because he was, you know, a royalty and a businessman and pulled it off. But even Charlemagne was mm-hmm. made a saint. And that t- it's hard to justify that based on what we know of his life. But there's also, of course, that so many saints became famous saints because of pilgrimages. Mm-hmm. If you had a, a small town, they wanted to, get to turn it into kind of Disneyland. You claimed to have the bones or the skull or the sandals of some saint. And you start to draw the 
hunters right, <laughs> would right. be coming in to stay in their hotels. It's a tourist or, trap. Yes. And then everyone at that point would obviously agree that that really was a saint because obviously here come the tourists, which is, I don't know, I, I'm not scandalized by that. But, mm-hmm. I think, oh, but I am scandalized by the fact that someone put enough money into getting canonized that they got canonized. They got canonized. Really, And right now, the saints who are waiting to get canonized mm-hmm. have these huge organizations behind them raising money for the purpose. And Dorothy Day does not have such a... a, a, neither, does a the, neither does my particular favorite, Father Michael Judge, who was a victim at 9-11. That's right. He knew he was going to die when he raced in to give the last rites to a couple of firemen. And he w- did die. Everything came crashing down. They found his body and brought it you know, to a church in New York. He was called the gay priest, even though he never acted on his homosexuality. He just, that was how he defined himself. He was celibate. He'll never, ever, ever get canonized. He there's no, There won't be the money. I mean, I don't know, unless, what's his name? David Geffen coughs up his fortune. <laughs> I was thinking we can end every episode with a, with a brief prayer to a saint. And since it is Pride Month, it's June, mm-hmm. you know, and we're here in New York. Maybe he's not a saint yet, but let's say to a future saint, we hope, we'll say his prayer to Saint Michael Judge. Okay. Or you it? could say Michal. It's, he, Michal. He used the Gallic version, but but I think it's you could say Michael too. It's... So we'll say a prayer to Michael Judge for all the LGBTQ people out there. You know, as Lady Gaga says, I, I believe you were born this way. I think God made everyone this way. So hopefully someday the Catholic Church will come around on that and, you know, we'll have gay saints. I mean, we've had one today who had an abortion. So the sky's the limit, literally, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Judge, say a prayer for all the people out they're struggling with their sexuality, their identity. We love you and uh, we support you. And join us next time on Saints Preserve Us, where we'll have more great stories of saints. So thank you, Sean and Rosemary. You're welcome. The Feast of St. Columba, if you need anything from him. You're struggling with some poetry, you know, <laughs> or, or you're going to go watch Bird Box. Say a prayer to St. Columba. Yay. Oh.